All right. Good morning. How are you? Good. Good to see you. Happy Thanksgiving again. Hope everybody had a good and relaxing one. Um, hope you were able to be with uh, family and friends, um, or at least um, a football game, and uh, uh, get some uh, good time together. So, guys, we are um, glad you are here today, and um, it is good to be worshiping during this holiday season. I'm excited to um, talk to you today. Obviously, this isn't it yet, but it's obviously one of my favorite times of year. Um, uh, the Advent season begins next week, and uh, I'm so excited about the Advent season. So, um, you know, I almost want to skip to it right now, but I'm, I'm excited uh, that today's a day that the Lord has made. We're going to rejoice and be glad in this one, too. Um, let me think. Does anybody actually start Christmas, like, right after Halloween? Anybody in here? Okay, yeah, yeah, all the decorations go up and like everything. Anybody wait till Thanksgiving and you feel like a slacker? Okay, so it's sort of like, yeah, it's like right as, uh, I love Pandora music, but like, um, because, you know, as soon as it hits Halloween, it's Christmas in our house, so I hope, uh, I hope you're already celebrating it. Anyway, so enough rambling. What we're going to do is we're going to um, actually jump it right back into the declaration series that we're doing today. If I don't know you yet, my name is Roland. I'm the lead pastor here, and what we've been doing is a series uh, Series on declarations that has been talking through uh, basically things that will be helpful for the believer and the Christian in their everyday walk with God. Things that need to be upon our lips, come off of our mouths, that sort of set the pace of our attitudes, our interactions, our lives, right? So with that in mind, I think that uh, last the last couple of weeks, just to give you a quick review, we did things like, number one, um, the declaration is, is, is that last week we talked about um, the fact that uh, we will give thanks, right? We need to be a thankful people. Uh, obviously, it was in the uh, heart of Thanksgiving, but even more than that, it's talking about the fact that we are to be more than anyone else a thankful people um, before the living God. Prior to that, we talked about the fact that um, we, Jesus, just as Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit to preach good news to the poor, so we as his church are anointed or set apart to preach good news to the poor, to actually serve the poor in our communities. And so um, we're going to do that with some of the announcements that uh, you heard about and um, we're participating in. Um, but next week, what we're going to do is we're going to actually talk about the de- uh, declarations of the Advent. And the Advent is um, basically the uh, Latin word for the coming, right? The coming of Christ. And so we're going to talk about the things that were declared when Jesus himself showed up and what was being declared about him, what was being declared about the world. But today, prior to that transition, we're going to actually um, do one last one that's sort of a bit more uh, sort of everyday and non-seasonal. And it's actually called this, that if you don't stand in faith, you won't stand at all. If you don't stand in faith, you won't stand at all. It's a declaration that um, we need to have as Christians. It's a declaration that we need to have firmly embedded in our hearts as believers. And it's something that's going to keep us if we're going to walk with God successfully during all the seasons of life that we have. If we don't stand in faith, stand firm in our faith, we won't stand at all. And the reason that we're declaring this as something that is something that needs to be firmly embedded in our hearts is because, as we'll see in the scripture, it's something that God by the prophet um, Isaiah specifically told and instructed the people of Israel with. He said that, listen, in all of your daily affairs and your daily life, if you don't stand firm in your faith, you won't stand at all. And what we'll see is that it's a perfect transition into the Advent season. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today. God, we thank you that you you have saved us by grace through faith. 
And God, that is the basis of our relationship with you. It's the basis of our salvation. It's the basis of not only our salvation, but um, in terms of an eternal sense, but it's also the basis of our salvation on a daily basis. God, we're asking that as we study your word today, that you would help us to be a people who stand firm in faith, that we might be able to walk in all the things that you've called us to be and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you're um, reading your Bible today, you can turn to um, Isaiah chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up there on on the screen for you. Um, but the declaration that we're talking about today is if you don't stand firm in your faith, you won't stand at all. Now, the Apostle Paul, whenever he was speaking and he was instructing the new believers in, throughout the Roman world, he said this in Romans 1, 5, and 6. He said that he received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Christ's name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. We skip ahead to uh, some of the writings of James, the half-brother of um, Jesus the Christ, and we see that he said things like, faith is essential to your relationship with God. That faith, though, without works is dead, right? And so continually with um, the demonstration of our interaction with God, he said, it's a faith that saves us, but it's a faith that is also dynamic. It's not static. It's a salvific faith, but it's also a daily faith. And there's a difference between the two, right? The salvific faith is the one that basically gives us reconciliation with God. It's something that gives us peace with God. We're justified by the faith in or trust in God and what he's done for us in Jesus that enables us to have relationship with him and stand before him. But then there's a daily faith that we have to walk out. When James is talking about the faith that's dead without works, he's talking about the fact that if you are going to say you have faith, you need to put it into action or put it into practice, right? You see people in need around you, but you don't do anything to meet those needs. And he said, that's a dead faith, right? Because you don't have the love of God motivating your heart by faith to share with those in need or to actually forgive people when they need forgiveness, right? It's just something that you might have as a good idea in your mind, but if you don't pardon people when they've sinned against you, or you don't pardon people whenever they've violated in, um, you in some shape, form, or fashion, then it can be a dead faith, right? He said that faith that you have in Christ needs to be put into action. So whenever we look at um, Isaiah the prophet, what we see is that um, even in the Old Testament, he was giving us a picture of the dynamic faith, the dynamic that, uh, faith that we would need if we were going to walk with God. And um, in the context that you uh, see Isaiah talking in, in Isaiah 7 um, today, it's one where we're going to end where it's one of those messianic prophecies that you see uh, like setting up the Advent season, right? Many of you are familiar with Isaiah 7 because you're familiar with the scripture where it says, you know, I'm going to give you a sign. It's, there's going to be a virgin birth, right? That takes place that talks about the Messiah coming to save the world. But but prior to that, there was actually a context that he was prophesying in. There was actually a real dynamic that they had to engage in in their everyday life. And what we see is that this was a time in Israel when the uh, northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel had been split. And then what happened is, is that uh, the kingdom of Israel was apostate. And they were, though they were the people of God, they were going astray and they were involved in all types of syncretism, which is a blending or a mixing of their faith with the nations around them, meaning that they chose some of the commands of God and they chose to identify themselves as people of worship. But the way they chose to worship was 
was mixed with the ways that the nations around them chose to worship, the ways that the nations around them chose to do things. And so what we see is that God's judgment was coming upon Israel and unfortunately the kingdom of Judah, that other part uh, was also being affected by these things and it was being affected by the leadership of the kings at the time. And the king at that time was a man named Ahaz. And for those of you who like to um, do a little bit of deeper study to understand the things that you're reading, and we encourage every one of you to do this, right? Because the Bible is one big book. It's all flowing in and out of each other. It's a stream flowing in and out. It's a continual story, right? But when you see Isaiah the prophet speaking, and you hear him talking about historic events that are going on, as we're referring to here, we also know that there's a context to it. And if you like looking at the context, it's actually found in 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 1 through 20. And I encourage you to go back and read that on your own time. We don't have time to read it today, but if you want to look at what he's talking about here, it's in 1 Kings 16. And it talks about the reign of Ahaz and all that was happening in his syncretistic leadership of the people of Israel. So what's happening is, is that we see that uh, King Ahaz was involved in the syncretism, the blending of the faith, the blending of obedience to the commands of God, but also worship of other gods and their ways. And God's bringing about a disciplining of the people of Israel, a judgment on the people of Israel by neighboring nations that come and attack. And so this is the context. There's an everyday life context to this message that God's delivering to his people. And so this is where we pick it up and read it today, understanding that even then their declaration had to be, if I don't stand in faith, firm in my faith, I won't stand at all. So let's read together. It says, in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem, which was the center where the temple worship was, where uh, Judah had its center of power and its leadership, right? So it, 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 it signified everything that had to do with God, his commands, and his ways for that time. And so we see that the people of Israel who were apostate, and then this other neighboring nation, Syria, were coming together against Judah, who also was starting to participate in this syncretism. And it said that they came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz, who was the king of Judah, and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shep, okay, whatever, Sher, Sher Jashub, your son, okay, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tobiel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin, 
And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay, so what we're trying to do today is just help, okay? Help with scriptures like these that when you read them, a lot of times people uh, pull out just the scripture of Emmanuel and preach on that, right? But they don't preach about the scripture that surrounds it. And so when you read it, it's sort of like, I don't, you're like, anybody else ever feel like me? Like, you know, it's like, you don't know what they're talking about, why they're talking about it, or what practical application it has for today, right? Well, what we see is that with the context that I've already given you, he's basically saying that in the midst of the disciplining, that the Judah was going all the way, the way of Israel, the way of the nations around them. They were mixing in their worship. You again, go back to first Kings and see that. But what God's saying is that even in the midst of that, I have purpose for my people. And if you will return to faith and stand firm in your faith, which also implies obedience, right? Because as we talked about that, Paul said, as James said, it's not just an intellectual faith. It's not just an agreement faith, but it's a faith that shapes your life. If you'll return to faith and stand firm in your faith, then I'll come through on your behalf. And the disciplining that's coming from the nations around you won't overtake you. They won't destroy you, but instead I'll have mercy on you, right? These nations that were coming as a disciplining from the Lord, they were coming basically to wreak havoc in Judah, in Jerusalem. But God's saying, if you return to me in faith, it won't, overcome to, it won't overcome you. But if you don't stand firm in your faith, you won't stand at all. If you don't stand firm in your faith, if you don't stand your ground and actually build on the things that I've called you to build in and to do, then you won't stand at all. And I think that we can see that in our daily lives, right? Whenever Jesus was talking, he was basically telling us that there is literally no demilitarized zone in our lives. Everybody realize that? Anybody ever sort of just like talk to friends and they ask you how your Thanksgiving was? It's like, what'd you do for your Thanksgiving? And you were like, I was chilling, you know? And sort of like you were like thinking, I'm doing nothing. You know what I mean? I'm just hanging out. I'm just binge watching. I'm just doing whatever it is that I do to relax, right? But how many people know that even in those moments, that's not a demilitarized zone, right? When you're with family, anybody ever have family fun, but also family issues? You, you, know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're with your family and you love the, the sense of like, you know, rest and you love the f- sense of familiarity. But at the same time, there's some underlying things that just rub you the wrong way, right? And so at the same time, that's not a, always a demilitarized zone, right? And always there's something that we've got to do in everyday life to actually stand in faith and keep moving in faith if we're going to please God. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 20, I'm sorry, 20. 1230. He said, whoever is not with me is against me. Yeah. 
Thank you. He says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever is not gathering with me is scattering. Who's never, whoever is not actively gathering with me is scattering. Ever, anybody ever find that to be true? It's sort of like you're either moving forward in God, right? In the character and the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life and even fruitfulness and being a witness for Christ, or we're deceiving ourselves to thinking we're just holding our ground and we're actually moving backwards. And when you look around a little bit, you find that after a couple of weeks or a couple of months of not being in fellowship or a couple of weeks or a couple of months of not reading our Bible or a couple of weeks or a couple of months of not being in a place of worship, then we're at a far different place than when we actually were in active pursuit of God and his purposes, right? Where we're actively standing firm in our faith so that we wouldn't be wait on losing ground. And this is what he's talking about here. He's like, listen, you're either moving forward in me or you're losing ground. And what we need in our walks with God is, I'm always helped by acronyms, but uh, what we need in God is a little bit of torque, right? We need a little bit of torque in our faith. Do you know know what I mean by torque? Anybody like cars in here? Okay, even just looking at them. Okay, it's sort of like you don't have to know anything about cars. I know nothing about cars really, okay, but I think they're pretty. All right, so it's sort of like, but you need torque. And the acronym that we're going to use today, obviously torque is spelled T-O-R-Q-U-E, right? Torque, talking about the, the force of the engine, the ability to take, pick up speed and go fast, right? Go zero to 60 in a certain no- amount of time, right? But for our acronym's sake, we're going to just do it phonetically, okay? T-O-R-K. Okay, that's what we need. We need torque. We know that's not the right spelling, but for our acronym's sake, we need torque, you know what I mean, in our faith with God. How do we stand firm in faith so that we can actually press forward in him? Well, Jesus, if we're, if we're saying literally, literally, if I'm not gathering with him, I'm scattering. My witness, if I'm not actually being an active witness for him, I'm actually affirming and approving the things around me that are going on that actually are not like him, Right? Anybody ever been amongst like coworkers or friends and they're literally joking around, blaspheming the name of God and they're like, ha 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 ha. And then you're like quiet as if your lack of participation and laughing is somehow a silent protest against those things, right? But if somebody says something about your spouse, you'd pipe up, Right. Oh, I, I hope so. Okay, I hope so. If somebody said something about your spouse, you'd be like, listen, don't talk about them that way. Not cool, right? You may have issue with them, but you need to keep that to yourself as long as I'm around. Okay, come on, come on, man, right? Yes, yes. Same way with God, right? People like are around and it's sort of like we're agreeing and silent like condescension in some way, but we're actually participating in the things around us. And what happens is, is we need torque. Okay, what, are the, what is the torque we're talking about? If we're going to stand firm in faith, number one, we need T, right? We need a T. We need trust in God while battles are raging against us. We need trust in God while battles are raging against us. Last week, we talked about all types of battles, right? Relational battles, familial battles, financial battles, right? Fat- battles that have to do with even your faith in God. When you have issues or circumstances that are having you question his goodness or his love towards you, right? You, that's a battle against your faith. 
It's a battle against your faith. And if you're going to continue to stand in God in his love for you in the times that the battle are, battles are raging, you've got to make a decision. The torque, the thing that's going to have you kick, you know what I mean? Forward and not backwards is saying a determined, in a determined way, God has spoken according to his word. And so regardless of what I feel, regardless of the counsel I'm given contrary to the word of God, right? God is true and every other person can be a liar as far as I'm concerned, because God is going to come through based on his word. God is going to fulfill whatever promises that he's made to me. So we talked about this last week. I won't rehash it, but sometimes we've got to speak to our own souls, right? We've got to speak to our own souls and command it to come into alignment with the word of God. And we've got to see our emotional state submit to the things that God says are true rather than what we're being drug along by, right? That's just a rehashing of last week. That's the T in the torque, right? But then it's not just the T in torque, but it's also the O, right? The obedience, the obedience that comes from faith. Over the course of time, it is one thing to have a faith in God. It's another thing to continually look to his commands to shape our lives and to put his commandments into practice, right? If you notice over the course of the life of a Christian, the longer they go along, it's, still, it's not that they lose an intellectual faith. It's not that they lose an intellectual agreement with the things of God. It's how they put his commandments, daily commandments, into practice. You begin to allow things to slip. You allow things that were previously you were sensitive to just go by the wayside, right? Previously, at first, when I knew that I was ultimately forgiven by God because of all my sin against him, I knew the gospel and the cross. At first, when people offended me, right, or hurt me in some way, I was like, no, we all need forgiveness. Come, bring it in. Bring it in. Get some love, right? But over the course of time, right, over the course of time, you get a little bit hardened, right? When things keep happening, in life, and you keep getting disappointed, right? And you keep having issues with people, then it get, begins to be harder to forgive somebody, harder to obey his commandment, right? And then you begin to justify the reasons you're not doing it. You begin to justify the disobedience. You begin to justify the things that he said, if you don't stand in faith, you won't stand at all. If you don't stand, take your stand when it becomes after many years. See, this isn't just for the baby Christian. This is for the seasoned Christian who's been walking with God for a while and after years gets tested. After years, the battle comes and you're having to make a decision to stand on the things that are going to keep you walking in devotion and holiness set apart to God obedience with how I use my time, right? What, like we always use the one-to-one -one or the purple book to go through when we're making new disciples, right? Teaching them how to stand in the word of God. And it asks these questions. Are your, is your time under his lordship? Are your finances under his lordship? Are your relationships under his lordship? And when you're first repenting, you say yes, yes, and yes. But over the course of time, right, what happens? You're like, hmm, my time, you know, I've, I've given him enough. I'm tired now. 
where I'm frustrated now, where I'm disappointed now. And he gives an exhortation saying, if you don't stand in your faith, you won't stand at all. If you don't stand when it gets tough, it's not that you're just going to be maintaining ground. You'll actually be taking steps backwards. What's the R in torque? The R in torque is righteousness based on Christ and his redeeming work alone. Right? We talked about this uh, last week again too, that listen, when I'm in the battle and when I'm over the course of time trying to stand in him, it's never going to be me trying to work my way towards him. But over the course of time, you know, it's enough. It's enough that I'm found in him. Do, do you know what I mean? It's sort of like at the beginning of your walk with God, you begin to understand justification where I cannot receive God's grace. I cannot make basically work my way to God or be right in God's sight because of anything that I do. But how many people know that over the course of time, then we revert to a sense of or a type of meritocracy? We, over the course of time, go to a place where it's sort of like, okay, yeah, that was good at the beginning when I said my sinner's prayer. But over the course of time, I really need to justify myself and my, my acceptance before God. Have I done enough? Have I been holy enough, right? Have I actually proven that I'm Christian enough to actually be accepted by God? And in terms of standing in faith, or you won't stand at all, what begins to happen is, is that if we start to, over the course of time, begin to justify ourselves before God and relate to him based on our own merit, then eventually we want to stop going to him. Isn't that the truth? Because eventually the weight of our own mistakes begin to weigh us down. They begin to weigh us down. It's sort of like, okay, I should be, you start to talk to yourself like this. I should know better. I should have been past this already. I should have never found myself in this place. Or why is my family in this place? I, I, I don't feel like I can go to God because I'm almost embarrassed to do so. Or I don't feel like I have a confidence before him. And the only reason for that is because there's been a subtle reversion. There's been a subtle reversion to I have confidence to stand before God, not because of his work in, um, for me, but because of my work before him. And in that place, that's what happened with Ahaz. When he was like, listen, Give me, ask me for a sign that I'm going to work on your behalf. And he was like, listen, I need no sign. Why was he doing that? If you go into first Kings, you see that he was working his own deals. He is working his own deals with the neighboring nations and said, if these um, countries are coming against me, if Israel and, you know, resin are coming against me in power, I, I can't trust God anymore. I'm going to go and broker my own help from this other country that can actually help me fight the battle that's coming against me. You see, he started to put his trust in his own ability and his, his, um, his army's own efforts than in God's. And God said, would you stop wearying me like this? The way that you've come to me is the way you've got to stand. And if you don't ask me for a sign because of my grace, I'm going to give you one anyway. I'm going to give you one anyway. And the sign that I'm going to give you is that the virgin will be with child and you will call his name Emmanuel, which obviously we know is God with us. And that's going to be the sign to you that you're going to be able to overcome. 
That's going to be the sign to you that you're able to stand and move forward in the things of God, that you have the torque to be able to say, I'm able to accomplish, be all God's called me to be and do all God's called me to do. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, no man or woman knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to do good. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? That is the truth. No person knows how bad they are until they're actually trying to do what's right. I thought I was a bomb before. I thought I really had, I thought I was a nice person. I thought I was selfless. I thought that, you know, like if people needed some happiness, they'd just come around me. Right? And then all of a sudden, life hit me, right? And I became one of the biggest complainers. One of the most ordinary people. Isn't that right, Merce? No, I'm kidding. That's my daughter. I'm kidding. It's like, you know, one of the people who are sort of like, I'm constantly apologizing. Anybody in trying to do what's right found yourselves apologizing more than ever before because you become sensitive, right, to God and his ways. But here's the good news. He said, I've given you Emmanuel, God with you. That the only way you're able to stand even in confidence to continue forward in life and not be bogged down by condemnation, beating yourself up over and over again, saying, what's the point? What's the point of even trying to fight these battles? I know I make mistakes. Well, here's the good news. God does too. But you've got Emmanuel, God with you, who comes to give you that righteousness that comes not from yourself, but by him alone. And in that confidence, you can continue to move forward. In that confidence, you can continue to stand. And it leads you into the torque of K, right? Kingdom. Kingdom advancement, right? Because eventually, when Peter's talking about things, he says it's not just about you believing the right things. It's actually you obeying me and following me into the things I've called you to be and to do, right? And this is what he says, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for you to do. And much of the dynamic of our everyday life is finding out what those things are that he's called us in advance to do and worship him in service of those with the service of those things, right? Where you're every one of us are answering a sense of calling, Every one of us are answering a sense of calling. And he says, okay, if you're going to stand, you've got to stand by faith and calling too, right? Because when you're trying to advance, it's going to take trust in him. When you're advancing, it's going to take God with you, right? Isn't that what Jesus said whenever he sent us out to make disciples? Go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I'll command you. And surely I am with you. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Why you're going to be able to do this is because I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. And that's going to be the thing that keeps you not just in an intellectual faith, not just in a personal battle, but it's going to keep you whenever you're trying to do kingdom things. When by the word of the Lord... Not only are you trying to be a witness for Jesus and see people come to Jesus and make disciples, but by the word of the Lord, maybe you're trying to start a business. By the word of the Lord, maybe you're trying to answer a call to ministry. By the word of the Lord, maybe you're trying to, you know what I mean, actually raise your children in a way that's different than what you saw rep um, exemplified for you. By the word of the Lord, you're trying to have a marriage that's built on God's principles rather than just the ways of the world, right? 
All of that's done by faith because those are decisions that are made by faith, right? And he says, if you don't stand in faith, you won't stand at all. You're either going forward in me or you're losing ground. And he says, stand in faith, get the torque, get the engine going and, run, and drive, okay? Jesus is ultimately our Emmanuel. I like what, uh, if you like poetry, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, and he said it was like this, We're, we all need a hero, right? Regardless of what Tina Turner said. She said, listen, he says, a hero is no braver than an ordinary man or woman, but he's brave five minutes longer. <laughs> Those are the people we call heroes. Is it not true? It's sort of like the people who, like, we're like, man, they're amazing. They're the people who've, like, impacted and shaped my life. They're the people who just did it just a bit longer and didn't give up. <laughs> right? They're the people who did it just a bit longer. And that's the type of life he's calling us to. But ultimately, Jesus is the hero of every story. Right? Jesus is the hero of all, every story who went to the cross and he said he laid down his life. He said that literally the, he, didn't sh, he didn't consider his life worthy enough to be kept, but instead he obeyed to the point of shedding his own blood on the cross, right? He went the distance. He's the Emmanuel, the hero in our story that enables us to stand in faith. And so as we do that, as we look to him in this way, standing in faith, the questions that we need to ask are these. Number one, I'm just giving you some practicals. Where are the areas of compromise in my life? Where are the areas of compromise in my life? That if God's saying, I need to stand in faith or I'm not going to stand at all, where are the areas that I've sort of blended things? Say, eh, I'm tired or, yeah. It's okay. That one really doesn't matter, right? When people begin to pick and choose the commands of God. That one's important, but that one's really not. That one matters to God, but that one doesn't. That's what Ahaz was doing. And he's saying, stand in faith or you won't stand at all. Where's their mixture is a question. A question you need to ask is, where have I thought myself wiser than God's commands and found justification not to obey him? Where have I found reasons that it's okay not to obey him in certain things in my life? And where have I reasoned that it's better to take my life in my own hands like Ahaz rather than trust him? See, these are the questions we need to ask if we're going to actually consider whether or not we're standing in faith. Because he says, if you don't stand in faith, you won't stand at all. Stand firm in it, you won't stand at all. We've got to be those who are continually questioning ourselves. And when we do, we're able to give ourselves to God in the way that Peter prescribed. How do we develop that torque in our lives? We'll finish with this scripture, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. Peter, giving instruction to the church, said, this is how you do it, guys. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your mind for action, right? In God, be dynamic in your faith. Don't let it be static. Prepare your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope, set your hope 
fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, which means that you were coming, you came out of it, but it means that if we're not careful, we could go back to it, right? He said, if you're not moving forward, you can fall back into it. And this is the exhortation that Paul was even writing about in Romans whenever he says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, be transformed. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, right? But the tense of that word is important. When he talks about do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, the tense there is a passive tense. So meaning that if I am not actively choosing to go in a different pattern, then the world is actively conforming me and shaping me into its pattern. That's the tense of the verb there. He says, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, is good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's an active faith standing firm in it. And this is what Peter's referring to. He says, but just as he who called you is holy, you also be holy, or in other words, set apart in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him who is a father, as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, talking about your time away from him on earth knowing that you are ransomed, bought from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are not in yourself, but are in God. Not in yourself, but are in God. Why do I have strength to stand? Because my faith and my hope are not in myself, but in God. When I make mistakes, I can keep moving forward because my faith and my hope are not in myself, but in God. When it doesn't look like I wanted it to look like around me, I can keep going because my faith and my hope are not in myself, but they're in God. When I'm discouraged, I can look to the one who my faith and her hope are in, in God, not in me. And because I have that as an unshakable focus, as an unshakable trust, then it doesn't matter what comes at me in life, right? The earth may quake, the mountains may roar and surge, right? But God is the strength of my heart and ever-present help in times of trouble. He says, stand firm in your faith or you won't stand at all. Don't go backwards, move forward. And sometimes all you need to know is that you're in Christ, you're in Christ. You hear me? When you have no more solutions to offer, no more quick answers to give, sometimes it's enough that you're in him. In him. And at the end of the day, 
if everything around you is looking like you're failing, he says, you're not failing if you're in him. If you're in him and you maintain that place of his righteousness being your own. Your trust being in him and his glory being his alone. (laughs) So if we don't stand in faith, we're not going to stand at all. But when we're standing in faith, we can do great exploits, right? Because we know our God. <laughs> and the confidence I have, if I'm, if I'm not looking to myself, great things can happen. <laughs> because even if I blow it, there's one who speaks on my behalf. <laughs> Anybody ever felt paralyzed by the fear of failure? <laughs> not wanting to move forward in things? Because you're like, what if it's not perfect? Anybody ever have have those firstborn tendencies? The perfectionism, right? It's got to be perfect or I won't do it. That's not what God says. He says, I'm the father. I've given the son and I've empowered you by the Holy Spirit. Now step out in faith. And if you blow it, that's okay. It's my glory anyway. And I'm the one looking for it. Step out in faith, stand in faith, and I'll get what I deserve. If we don't stand in faith, we won't stand at all, but we're going to be people who stand in faith. Amen? Amen. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back um, into worship. But prior to that, let me just finish by giving you a little preview of our Advent season. For those of you who did not grow up in church like myself, I like to just uh, set it up this way to help you understand the season that we're going into. Um, This was actually given as an instruction for um, Focus on the Family. Anybody ever uh, read Focus on the Family or read, like, received? Okay, anyway, grid ministry. Anyway, the Advent season is basically divided into four weeks, and each week features a different liturgical theme. Traditionally, the first week remembers the hope and expectation of the Jewish people as they look forward to the Savior's arrival. And it also reminds believers today to wait expectantly for Jesus' second coming. The second week focuses on preparation. Over many centuries, God prepared the hearts of the Jews for Christ's coming, just as he is now working in our hearts to prepare us for Christ's second coming. Their third week joyfully celebrates the coming of the Messiah, and the final week celebrates God's peace and love. And so as we go into the Advent season, we're asking that it would actually, as a people, we'd approach it as a season not just a message we're listening to or good encouraging word, but it's something that we go into expecting God to do an ongoing work in our hearts throughout that month. You understand the difference? Almost like it's not, we, we can go in and see, hear a message and then leave and say, all right, that's good, or I didn't get anything from that. You know, but the other thing is, is that but when you go into a season, you're actually saying, God, I'm, I'm asking you to do a work, an ongoing work, a cleansing work a set-apart work in me. So as we go into the Advent season, let's approach it this way. And as we go into worship today, let's start it now. (laughs) Okay? So worship team, let's come on up. And let's begin to stand in faith.